Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, and you would find the 23rd chapter of the book of Matthew. The 23rd chapter of the book of Matthew. I want to thank you for allowing me to be gone this week. Uh, I had the privilege of preaching at camp um, uh, five times this week. And uh, so I want to just thank you for that. I do want to just say that uh, it was one of the smallest camps we've had with COVID and everything else. Um, But uh, of the 60 campers that were there, 15% of them were saved. And so, amen. And so if we could get 15% of the people here... No, I'm just kidding. No, we were just so thankful for what God has done. Uh, But in Matthew, the 23rd chapter, this is one of the most difficult chapters to read because it is a chapter about judgment. It is a chapter about God's dealing with hypocrites and religious hypocrites at that especially. And if you remember, the series that we were going through was, Do You Have a Heart Problem? And the challenge was for you and I to evaluate our lives and our hearts and what we are doing and how we are viewing other people. But right here at the end of this chapter, in three little verses, after a chapter of judgment, after a chapter of condemnation, after a chapter that really shows us God's hatred for sin and covering up sin, we see some of my favorite verses in the New Testament. Because we see that God has a love for people. And I don't know if you know this or not, but it's easy to get bogged down in all that's going on in the world. It's easy to get bogged down in all that goes wrong in church. It's easy to get bogged down in all that goes wrong in marriage. It's easy just to look around and think, man, what is wrong with everything? But it is a wonderful reminder to me when I read verses like this that reminds me of the great love that God has for people. Not just people that look like me or act like me or talk like me, but especially the group of people that he was talking to. Because he had just gave the strongest condemnation almost in the entire Bible. These people were going to be responsible for his crucifixion. They were going to be responsible for leading the multitudes to cry out, crucify him. They were going to be the ones that as the church began to start in the book of Acts and in different New Testament Gospels that were trying to cause division and tear the church up, that He even loved them, that He was merciful to them. And so tonight I want you to stand with me, if you would, out of a reverence to the reading of God's Word. And as He has just got done talking about the judgment that is coming to this generation... The judgment that is going to happen. He says the words, starting in verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. And Don't miss this sentence. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I want to read that second part of verse 37 again. 
because these were the most wicked, awful, vile people who could have ever treated him any worse. There was no one. But yet he says, How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. This idea of a loving, compassionate, merciful, gracious God to the people who hated him most. And I don't know how far you've ever wandered from your faith, but I'm thankful that God loves us that way. And so if you would pray with me tonight. Father, as we come to your word, Lord, I pray that you would use it for your glory. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be at work. God, that you would be moving and dealing and changing and encouraging us tonight. Father, I thank you for those that are here. Lord, I pray for those who are not able for whatever reason. And Lord, I just pray tonight that you would help us to be reminded of the great love you have for us. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And so tonight, just think of the person who has done you the greatest harm. The person who wants the worst for you. And imagine if that person went from just being someone who slandered you, someone who tried to take advantage of you, but had made it their life mission to murder you. Do you think that would be said about you? It wouldn't be said about me, probably. I would probably be thinking, Lord, whatever you want to do. I don't want nothing to do with them. I don't want to be bothered by them. I don't want to be around them. And I don't care what happens to them. But we see the heart of God for lost people, for broken people, for hurting people. And he says that in that passage of Scripture. And so I just have two points tonight, and I hope to be very quick on the first one and quite long on the second one, just for your um, information And the first one is this. Even though God has a great love for people, we see that God's accusation and judgment of their sin. You see, even though God has a love for people, He does not avoid the issue of sin. He does not look at us and say, you're just a great creation. I'm so glad I made you. I know that you're fallen and sinful and broken, but I'm going to ignore all of that because that's just who you are. No, look what he says there in verse 37, starting. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. If you jump down to verse 38, See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What he says there is the accusation. You are murderers. You have murdered every prophet, every messenger that I have sent to you. You have rejected them, you have refused them, and you have done a direct rebellion against me. And he says, your house has left you desolate. He says, this is the accusation and this is the punishment. There's no way around this. You have made this mess yourself. And isn't that really how the Holy Spirit works? He convicts us of our sin shows us that even though God loves us, and even though that God has grace and mercy for us, that sin in the life of a believer is something that God does not want. If you remember what it was like to be under conviction before you were saved, you probably remember what it was like to come to the realization that you were a sinner, that you needed a Savior, that you were on your way to hell, that you had no hope. 
But yet God had to convict you. He had to draw you before He could restore you, before He could save you. And we see this, and it's very important tonight, because when we move to the second point, I never want you to miss that as a church, or as a parent, or as a grandparent, you and I must always start the discussion about sin. That we are sinners. That we have broken our relationship with God through our sin. Adam and Eve broke that relationship with God in the garden. But yet, there is a need for salvation. There is a reason that we need a Savior. That sin has corrupted everything. Uh, The Bible tells us in the New Testament that all of creation is affected by sin. You want to know why there's cancer and death and betrayal and tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes? It is because sin has corrupted everything. And people need to know that God is not just something that you add to your life. It's not just something that you bring into yourself to make you feel better about yourself. It is the fact that you have a problem. You have something that is rotting in your being. That sin nature. And you need someone to set them free. Someone to restore them. Someone to make them brand new. And that's what Jesus can do. That's who He is. But I want to show you, not only does God make an accusation and judgment of their sin, we see God's heart and desire for them. God's heart and desire for them. There in that 23rd chapter, verse 37, the second part, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. You see, tonight I want to address something that is a great struggle in the church today of America. is who is responsible for sin? Who is responsible for rejecting Jesus? We see here in this passage of Scripture that Jesus says, this is what I wanted but you were not willing. And so how do we look to a lost and dying world? The question of hell, even though it has been ignored by the world, explained away by the liberal, hell is a real place. It is a place of eternal punishment. And the Bible tells us in stories like the rich ruler that those who die apart from the grace and mercy of God will spend eternity there. And I was reading, and I only got to chapter, I got to 20 passages that talked about God's desire for us to be saved, God's wanting us to be saved, our refusal to be saved. But one commentary said there were 61 passages to reaffirm the belief that God wants people to be saved, but it is still a response that they must make. And tonight I want to give you some of those because as you look at a lost and dying world, as you pray for the people that you love the most, as you have a desire to see people saved, you need to remind yourself of these things. Who is responsible for our sin and rejection of God? In Isaiah chapter 30, if you'd like to write these down tonight, I hope that you will. That way you can study them for yourself. In Isaiah chapter 30, really a almost uh, same idea that Jesus uses in Matthew 23, He says these words, Therefore, says the Holy One of Israel, because you despised this word and trust in oppression and perversity and rely on them, 
Therefore this iniquity shall be to you like a breach ready to fall, a bulge in a high wall, whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant. And he shall break it like the breaking of a potter's vessel, which is broken in pieces he shall not spare. So there shall not be found among its fragments a shard to take fire from the hearth, or to take water from the cistern. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. Don't miss this. He says if you will repent, if you'll rest, if you'll return and come back to me, the judgment that is pronounced on you will not happen. But don't miss these four words. But you would not. It is almost a direct correlation to what we read in the 23rd chapter, verse 37 of the book of Matthew. That God tells them this is what it takes for you to avoid judgment. This is what it takes for you to avoid the wrath of God. But you would not. We see in Ezekiel chapter 18, starting in verse 25, what God will do when a sinner repents and returns. And I want to read these verses to you tonight in their context. Starting in verse 25, it says, Yet you say the way of the Lord is not fair. Hear now, O house of Israel, is it not my way which is fair, or your ways which are not fair? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and dies in it, it is because the iniquity which he has done that he dies. Again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive. But he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed, he shall surely live. He shall not die. He gives a clear understanding that if you will turn from your wickedness and turn to Him, you will be saved. You will be granted life. But now He gets specific to the people. Yet the house of Israel says, The way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, it is not my ways which are fair, and your ways which are not fair. Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, Every one according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. He says, if you will turn, if you will repent, if you will trust me, the judgment that is coming will be spared. You see, we need to be reminded always that God has a desire to save. He has a desire to hold judgment from us. In verse 31 it says in that same passage of Scripture, Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed, and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord. Therefore turn and live. Do not miss the significance of this. He tells them that when they repent, when they turn, when they go from heading away from God to Him, when they call out to God, He will give them a new heart. 
and a new spirit. It is a New Testament teaching that we find in the Old Testament. That when you repent of your sins and you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. You're not saved and then you repent. You repent after the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And you turn from your wickedness and He makes you brand new. You're born again. The Spirit of God comes to live within you. And so that's why I believe it is our job as believers to live out the love that God has for people. You say, Jake, what if I don't like people? Get over it. You say, Jake, what if they have hurt me? Move on. Because we are literally sent to plead with people, to beg with people, to encourage people to be saved. In 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, verse 20, the Bible says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Did you hear that? It's like He is using us to reach people. We are His ambassadors. And so if you want to know why the world doesn't know that God loves them, it is because the ambassadors that He has are not sharing the message. When was the last time you implored someone? When you asked them to be saved? When you talked to them about salvation? When you brought them to a point where you said, God loves you and He died for you and He cares about you and He wants you to be saved. He wants you to find forgiveness. He wants you to know Him. He wants you to turn from the direction you're heading and trust Him as the Lord and Savior of your life. You say, well, Jake, I talk to people a lot about abortion. I talk to people a lot about the sanctity of marriage. I talk to people a lot about the sanctity of marriage. I talk to people a lot about the government and politics and the president. Look up here. If you want to make a difference in the lives of people, be an ambassador for Christ. Implore them. Beg them. Talk to them. Encourage them to think about Jesus, to listen to Jesus, to respond to Him in their life. If you really want to love people... You have to go to the people that God loved. And who was that? Those who loved Him the least. Those who hated Him the most. You say, well, Jake, I don't know. God maybe doesn't want everybody to save. I don't know who I should go to or who I should not go to. Well, I want to show you tonight that God wants people to believe. God wants sinners to be saved. In John, the 20th chapter, starting in verse 30. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe. He says, I'm writing this and showing you what Jesus has done, who Jesus is, how He has worked, how He has moved, so that you can see it and you can read it and you can be convicted by it and you can believe. The idea that God wants us to hide Jesus from the world, the idea that God wants to trick people into unbelief, makes no sense to me. That you may believe the name Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. The Bible tells us that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to redeem, to save to change. And tonight I want to encourage you. 
You can look up these verses on your own. You can look at the many times the Bible talks about this. I tried to use verses that I don't use all of the time to show you that it's throughout all of Scripture. But listen to what he said there in verse 37 again. How I often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chick under her wings. But you were not willing. So there are two ways you can look at this. One, you can believe what Jesus said. This is what he wanted, but they would not respond. Or you can believe, what is a little more challenging for me, that God has a will that he would like to happen, and he has a will that will happen. And so while God wants everyone to be saved, his plan is not really that all would be saved. And even though he told them that he wanted them to be drawn together, to be brought under his protection and forgiveness and love, that that's not really what he wanted. And so in Revelations chapter 3, one of the most controversial verses in the Bible, and you would say, I don't know why it's controversial. Well, it's Jesus talking to a church. And in Revelations chapter 3, starting in verse 18, I want to read some of these verses to you and then I will close. Starting in verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. It goes on and says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous... And repent. And don't miss. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. For years, Baptist preachers used this as Jesus was standing at the door of your heart, knocking for you to be saved. But if you know anything about this passage of Scripture, he's actually not talking to an individual, and he is talking to a church. And there's all kinds of debate about how you shouldn't use this, you shouldn't use this, but my challenge to you tonight is if a church can refuse to let him in, and if a church can refuse to let God work and move in their midst, why should we believe that as an individual it's any different? A church is made up of individuals. And so tonight I want you to hear this. God is wanting to work in this church. God is wanting to work in your life. But did you notice that? If you will open the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And so I can already promise you there will be some people that watch this and say, there's Jake taking the Bible out of context, misusing it, twisting it. But my challenge to you is if a church can say no, it says it right here, you have to open the door, then why could an individual after the conviction and dealing of the Holy Spirit, say, I'm not willing. Even though God loves me, God wants a relationship with me, God wants to save me, I am not willing. And my challenge to this church tonight, and I've got like 45 more minutes of this, but I'm not going to go on for 45 minutes. I mean, I literally have like nine pages up here. But I want you to hear the words that he said the love that he had. Now, I'm not a real emotional person. I try not to be an emotional person. 
But when I think about the love that he had for these people, it is mind-blowing to me. The same people who every time you turn around over the last seven chapters have made his life miserable, tried to humiliate him, tried to embarrass him, tried to trick him, tried to cause him to stumble. And if you were to flip ahead, which we're not going to, the same people in chapter 26 that are plotting to kill him. 26 talks about that. Or in verses chapter 27, you see that these same people are coming to arrest him. The same people in chapter 27 who had got two false witnesses to lie about him. The same people in chapter 27 who are examining him, who are making up lies about him. The same people who are requesting that Barabbas is freed. The same people that watched or helped him be beaten. The same people who cheered when he was led to Golgotha. The same people who stood by as he hung on the cross and said if he could save others, let him save himself. Those same people, knowing all that they had done, Jesus looked out to them and said, verse 37, How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. You say, well, Jake, he's not talking about them. He's talking about their children. He's just talking about the inhabitants of Jerusalem. He's talking about the people that this is going to affect. Friends, one of these days, every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl is going to have to stand before God. And I believe they will hear how I wanted to save you, how I wanted to forgive you, how I wanted to bring you in my family, but you were not willing. Tonight, most of us are saved in this room, and so for us, we're thinking, not me, Jake. I've got that settled. I've got that taken care of. But how many churches do you think God has tried to work and move in? And they've said, Lord, you've knocked. And you've wanted to be here. But we are not willing. Tonight my prayer is, if you are in this building and you were lost, that God wants to save you from your sin. I don't have to quote 2 Peter chapter 3 or Timothy chapter 2. or I don't have to quote any of those tonight. But you need to know that God loves you and died for you. If you've got family and friends that don't know Jesus, maybe a grandchild, a son, a daughter, you need to know that God is willing to save. And you need to begin to pray, not that God would convict, not that God would work, but that they would repent that they would turn from their wicked ways and trust Him. That's what it said in Ezekiel. That's what it said in Isaiah. Repent and turn. Tonight, maybe you say, I don't have any lost family members. I don't have any lost friends. I don't have anyone lost in my family. Then tonight, would you pray for this church? 
that as Jesus stands at the door and knocks, that we would be willing for Him to evaluate us, for Him to convict us, and for Him to use us for His glory. Maybe tonight you say, Jake, I don't need either one of those things. I'm good with everything. Maybe tonight you need to be reminded of who you need to love when they are difficult to love. Maybe tonight this is for you to learn how to forgive when you don't want to forgive. Maybe there's a group of people or someone in your life that you could care less if they know God. Or maybe tonight you want them to know God, you just don't want them to be by you in heaven. Tonight God can change that. And my prayer for us, and for me especially, is that I can look out over a group of people like Jesus looked out over this group and said, I loved you in spite of you. And I would be good to you in spite of you because that's the love that God has for people. Pray with me tonight. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Not my words, Lord, but yours. Lord, I pray tonight that you would help this congregation. No other church, God, their their relationship with you is their own. But God, help this church to be a church that wants to see you work, that wants to see you save, that wants to see you move. Father, tonight I pray that you would help us as individuals respond to, yes, Lord, here we are. Father, tonight I pray for that person that is under conviction. God, that tonight there would be the night that they would repent. They would turn and trust you as their Lord and Savior. God, I believe your word says that you want them to be saved. You're willing to save them. But God, they must respond. So, Father, tonight I just pray, I beg, I plead, God, that you would be at work in them. Father, tonight I pray that you would help us to be the church that you want us to be. Father, I pray that you'd forgive me and work in spite of me tonight. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.